Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the concept of direct indexing, which is an investment approach that allows an investor to invest in the underlying securities that make up an index, something like the S&P 500, for example, versus investing in an ETF or mutual fund that follows that index. We discuss some of the advancements in technology, trading, and falling fees that make direct indexing now feasible, and some of the pros and cons an investor would want to consider in a direct indexing type of approach. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, today we're gonna to talk about um, direct indexing, which is a topic that you tackled in a recent article, the pros and cons of direct indexing. And um, just to kind of set it up a little bit, um, there's obviously been massive growth in um, assets in ETF uh, exchange-traded uh, products. Um, exchange-traded funds. And one of the big reasons for that is because ETFs are very tax efficient. Um, And over the last few years, while direct indexing has been in existence for a while, there are certain trends happening in the industry, and we can kind of get into this a little bit, but that have sort of, I think, facilitated or at least um, made direct indexing more possible at a uh, individual account level. So maybe to start, let's just talk about what direct indexing actually is, and then we can get into what the pros and cons of it might be. Yeah, at a high level, you know, technology has changed all of our lives because it's allowed us to personalize most aspects of what we do on a day-to-day basis. And what this is, is direct indexing is, is it's taking technology and personalization and it's bringing it to investing. So instead of owning the S&P 500 index fund, you know, where everybody gets the same exact 500 stocks, I can now have my own personal index where I can express my own personal preferences in terms of the exact stocks I want to hold. And I would hold the individual stocks in my account versus holding the ETF. So there's a couple big advantages to direct indexing, which we'll get into. One is the customization we talked about. I I can do things like ESG, or if I'm an executive at Google, I can have the S&P 500 without Google in there since I probably own a lot of Google on my own. Um, so that customization is one advantage. And then the second major advantage is tax efficiency. So ETFs are about as tax efficient as it gets, because if you don't sell the ETF, all the rebalancing activity that occurs inside the ETF, you don't have to worry about the taxes that are due on that. So ETFs are very tax efficient, but direct indexing when done properly has the ability to actually create after tax returns that are better than your before tax returns. And the reason is because direct indexing strategies can use tax loss harvesting to try to harvest losses throughout the year, which we can talk about in a little bit, but that gives you the potential to be generating gains on your portfolio, but actually generating losses for tax purposes. And so those are the two major advantages. And so direct indexing is probably going to be a big growth area within investing because both of those are, are big positives for investors. And so I think it's a, it's something worth you know looking into. And I think it's, it's something that you're probably gonna see a lot more in the future. Yeah, like a lot of these guys that really know a lot about ETFs that have been in the forefront of the ETF landscape um, and that are super knowledgeable sort of think that direct indexing might be, you know, the next big wave of innovation in 
um, the investment space um, because of the things you mentioned. And just to go over those again, it's the advent of the new technology that is allowing for this, the elimination of brokerage commissions at most uh, brokerage online brokerage firms, and the ability to now buy partial shares. So where we manage money, we've always had the ability since we started to manage partial shares and, and buy securities at, with, uh, at using partial shares. But even now, Fidelity and Schwab and other places are allowing individual investors to purchase um, companies and stock in partial shares. So all of those things, I think, probably um, make direct indexing a lot more feasible for uh, investors um, going forward. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, um, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say, because of the partial share thing you're talking about, this, this has been something, this is something that's been going on for a long time and certain firms have been doing it, you know, for over a decade, but it's something only large accounts could do because of the fact that you couldn't have partial shares. You know, if, if I wanted to mirror the S and P 500 and I've got a stock in there that trades at $6,000 a share, I need to have a large amount of money to be able to mirror that entire, entire index and be able to buy one share of that stock. And also for a small account, when, when you were paying commissions on a per trade basis, they just became too much. You, know, you weren't getting enough tax benefit to offset those commissions. So like you said, the, the reduction in commissions to zero and these partial shares now mean that you know, with $25,000, in theory, you could follow a direct indexing strategy if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of one of the major benefits um, of direct indexing, it does have the potential to boost after-tax returns in the right situation. Yeah, that's right. And it, the, the key part is what you said at the end there, which is the right situation. Because when you see after tax returns quoted by investment managers, typically what you will see is they'll always find this ideal person to quote after tax returns for. And that ideal person is typically somebody who's in the top tax bracket who lives in California, because that person pays the highest taxes you can possibly pay in the country. And so that means the benefits of a strategy like this will be the most. And so the first thing to consider when looking at direct indexing is how do I relate to that, that person in the top tax bracket in California? If I have much lower tax rates, it doesn't mean I won't get benefits. It just means the benefits will be less. But so the, to take a step back though, the theory of what's going on here, if, if I take the S&P 500 every year, whether the S&P 500 is up or it's down, there's going to be some gainers and there's going to be some losers. And the theory of direct indexing is, as opposed to running this in a fund where I can't harvest those losing positions, I can, if I run this in my individual account, I can sell the losing positions throughout the year and I can take advantage of something like what happened with the coronavirus where you get a bunch of losing positions. I can sell those positions. I can buy something that approximates the return of those positions. And then I can realize those losses while still tracking the index. That's the theory of direct indexing is I'm able to realize losses throughout the year and improve my after-tax returns. But at the same, by the same token, I'm able to use things like correlation analysis to figure out what I can hold that mirrors the returns of what I sold so that I continue to track the index. So when it's working well, that's what it is. But it is important to consider everyone's personal situation will determine how well this works for them. And, and a lot of that is a function of what your tax rate is and also whether you have gains elsewhere that you can write these losses off against. Because if you don't have gains elsewhere to write the losses off against, then the strategy is not beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've looked around at the potential tax alpha that can be realized over time. And based on some research, it looks like maybe somewhere around maybe 70 or 80 basis points over the long run that this tax alpha can give you. But like you said, it's, you know, it only works in certain 
probably situations for the right situation for the right type of investor that's able to take advantage of that. Yeah, if you look at the people who've been doing this for a long time, they have generated tax alpha over time. So there, there is evidence that say over a 10 year period, you can generate positive tax alpha with this. But the other important thing to keep in mind is that most, most of the tax alpha exists at the beginning and that it slides down over time. Because if you think about it, as every year, I'm going to have less losers because if I'm following something like the S&P 500 in the first year, I'm going to have no matter what the market does, I'm probably going to have some losing positions. But as years go on, my holding period on these stocks gets much and much, lo much longer. So after 10 years, how many losing positions do I really still have left? So a lot of the benefit of this is realized in the front years and the benefit sort of declines over time. And there's probably a point where you hit a wall and the fact that you're paying extra fees for this relative to an index fund, you, you start to have a negative benefit. Um, that doesn't mean that'll offset the positive benefit you had in the front years, but it is, you know, a lot of the benefit is in the, the nearer years. And then as time goes on, the benefit gets less. Mm -hmm. um, the next, I think, I guess, benefit or pro that you came up with in your article is that, and I guess you were kind of toggling between both. Uh, this was a plus and a minus in the sense that, you know, the behavioral aspect of customizing a portfolio can be um, a double-edged sword. You know, in, so, in some ways, if you can get a client involved and you can customize an index based on what they value, or let's say if they have, you know, a large stock holding outside the index in another account, you know, that has a benefit in the sense that, um, you know, the client is involved in, to some extent, that customization process it may help them stay more disciplined over time because they have some skin in the game. On the other side of it, I think you were sort of making the point that, you know, sometimes too much customization can sort of um, not be good. Um, so do you want to kind of just flush that out a little bit more? Yeah, you know, if there's one lesson we've learned managing money for as long as we have, it's that the most important thing in determining an investor's actual return they'll realize in a portfolio is how much they believe in the portfolio. And so by allowing an investor to personalize something like the S&P 500 to exactly what they want it to be, to express their ESG beliefs or, or whatever other beliefs they have, by allowing them to build an S&P 500 that might be the S&P 475, but that matches their own personal beliefs, the investor's probably more likely to stick with that portfolio when things go bad because they had a hand in creating it and they believe in it. And so I think that can be a big advantage of this, this type of thing, even in non-taxable accounts. You know, you could even use this like in retirement accounts for that reason, because if an investor is more likely to stick with something, that can trump a lot of other negative factors. And so I think that's one of the big benefits here is that this, this does allow us to take something like customization and bring a specific portfolio that meets a specific investor's needs to that investor versus saying, take the prepackaged S&P 500. But like you said, if that turns into, I'm going to trade all the time now, and now my beliefs six months from now are different than my beliefs now, and I'm, I'm going to be adjusting in and out, and I'm going to constantly be calling my manager and saying, you know, take this position out and put this position in, or now I want value, or now I want momentum, you know, that obviously becomes a negative. But if, if they're consistent beliefs like ESG that can be carried over long periods of time, and if those beliefs can be reflected in the portfolio, that should be a positive for investors in terms of being able to stick with the strategy. Yeah, I also think that a lot of investors just like seeing the individual stocks they own. So if you were direct indexing something like the S&P 500, you know, when you logged into your account, while it'd be a lot of positions, you would at least be able to see the individual names. Um, and for some investors, that's very important. That means more, it's more meaningful than just seeing something like SPY, which is the S&P 500 ETF. 
basically that 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 tracks the S and P. So, so I think that's another you know potential I guess benefit of um, well direct indexing I guess or being be, be, being able to see the positions um, in terms of turnover and tax efficiency. I think you were sort of getting at um, that you know anything some anything that results in more deviation from let's say the the market or an index like the s p the more turnover you're going to be adding and as a result of that you lose some of the tax efficiency um versus just direct indexing the index regularly right yeah this, this works best with low turnover strategies because if you, if you think about it the more I try to turn over my portfolio, like let's let's take an example of momentum. Let's say I want to add momentum to the S and P 500. Well, when when I'm I'm overweighting stocks that have the most momentum. Well, when that momentum breaks down, I now have to sell those stocks. So right now, it's, let's look at what's going on right now. Google and Amazon, those companies all have a lot of momentum, when, and I also have significant gains in them if I'm holding the individual stocks in the S and P 500. But when that momentum rolls over and I want to sell those, that is not a tax efficient thing to do because I have significant gains there. And so what happens is that offsets or more than offsets the other part of what I'm doing, which is my tax loss harvesting and my losing positions. And so what I was getting at there is higher turnover tends to be the enemy of tax efficiency. And so one of the reasons this works very well is the S&P 500 on its own or, or other you know, static indexes like that have very low turnover. And so I don't have to worry about tax from the actual rebalancing trades of the index or, or it's a minor consideration. And I can use, you know, I can realize my losses throughout the year and that becomes positive tax alpha for me. As soon as I start overlaying things like factors, it becomes much more tricky because in order to follow the factors, I need turnover, but the turnover becomes the enemy of tax efficiency. So it's just an important consideration when you run something like this, that it's not as if you can just build your own index exactly the way you want it and you can have your factors in there and you can change the stocks often and things like that because part of the benefit here is tax efficiency. And by doing that, you're losing that. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting. When when I first sort of got exposed and was learning about direct index, indexing, I was a little bit of a skeptic about it only because it seems it certainly adds a level of complexity, I think, to the investment process. Even if you're a financial advisor sitting down across the table from a client and then you present this direct indexing option, you know, you are then having to layer in a lot of other decisions. But I think to the point that you're making, some of those decisions will be good. Um, hopefully over time, some of the decisions might not be good or uh, result in, you know, maybe potentially um, bad behavior from the investor or the client. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the growth in direct indexing really tracks anywhere near um, the early days of growth of ETFs. I mean, it's it's still it's still an unknown at this point. Yeah, I, mean, I think in the near term, ETFs are going to continue to dominate, and that and that's what they should do because ETFs are a very tax efficient vehicle, and a lot of people, or probably most people, are more than happy to just own the S and P five hundred. They don't need to you know pick pick and choose which stocks are coming in and out. So I, I think ETFs are still great, and 
like you, I was a skeptic going into this and I've sort of come around on it because I do think this customization can be a really big benefit for investors. I think it could make them more likely to stick, you know, if they can express their beliefs and their strategies, it might make them more likely to stick with them. And, and I also think for people who have high tax rates, this tax efficiency is a true benefit as well. And so as much as I think for most people, ETFs are probably still the way to go. I think you're going to see this rising in importance and you're going to, you know, you're going to see more and more managers offering this. And, and in certain cases, this, this can be a superior strategy for something like the S&P 500 than doing it inside of an ETF. Well, I could even see a day where take the managers or the advisors out of the picture. I mean, you could have a technology solution where a client looks at a menu of different indices, you know, picks the one or the few that they want to direct index, you know, funds the account. And then the direct index starts there and using technology, you can actually probably just do the tax loss harvesting, add in the, add in the filters like ESG um, or even factor weightings to, you know, get different types of exposure. So, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting with sort of these new, more efficient and smoother and advanced um, technology stacks and platforms that are coming online to see how that impacts it as well. And right now, this is typically done through an advisor. You know, the, the people that are doing this are typically advisors, you know, charging a fee to clients. But th there's rumors that the, the next big player here is going to be Schwab and that they're going to go direct to consumer. So that could change things too. If, if you bring, if you allow the consumer to do this, you know, in their brokerage account with, with Schwab at a very low fee, that could really, you know, increase the adoption of this very rapidly. All right, so that's uh, our quick little overview on direct indexing. Hopefully you guys found it valuable, at least at a high level, about what direct indexing is and the pluses and minuses of it. We appreciate your time. Thank you for watching. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJCarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.